Well, we've been doing that song for a long time around here. Um, but I don't want the sense of message that it conveys and the scripture that it leans upon to bypasses. Can you imagine God moving in you and in this area, in the east side of Seattle, in such a way that life trembles? And hearts are awakened. And people are drawn to a holy God. And repentance is everywhere. And worship breaks out for a deserving God. We're not in here today just to play around and do some religious ritualistic things. We are the people of God. A a living God who's seeking to move in our midst and change this world. To bring redemption. Let's pray together to that end. If God began to move, what would shake in you? If God began to move, what would shake in your neighborhood? If God began to move, what what would shake in your workplace? Whose hearts would be enlivened? What hope would be instilled? What brokenness would be healed? What power would be released? So, Father, we we just pause because we're in your presence and we don't want to be guilty of just going through a routine or playing some kind of game or being mindless. When you're here with us. We pray that you'd use these next few minutes to continue to sharpen in us the vision of who you are and what you're up to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I am going to be speaking just a moment from the book of Philippians. So let me encourage you to get your Bible and open it up. Uh, close to the end of the New Testament. And we will be looking at Philippians today and over the next four following weeks. We will cover the entire book of Philippians. And so if you're of the the mind to take a few notes, you could kind of create your own mini commentary on the book of Philippians. And it would be something that uh, you could refer back to in the coming months and years uh, for God to continue to speak to your life about these things. And we're going to be speaking uh, out of the book of Philippians uh, on the idea of how much and in what kind of ways God wants to bless you. God bless you. Now, have you ever Googled 
something just to see, you know, what pops up on a, a certain idea, a word, a phrase, or whatever. I did that with God bless you because in, in anticipation of things we'd be talking about this this week, I'm like, okay, what would pop up if I just put in there, God bless you? And, you know, almost a uh, hundred different references were there about sneezing. God bless you. And, you know, the history on where did that come from? Listen, God wants to bless you way beyond your nose having a tickle, okay? And it's something deep and it's something profound and it's something far-reaching. But let me ask you, just to kind of get things started, do you feel blessed? Are you blessed? Now, a lot of time when we think about blessing, we think about it in terms of more. I would be blessed if I had more money. I'd be blessed if I had more stuff. I'd be blessed if I had more children. I'd be blessed if I had more opportunities with my job or career or whatever. I'd be blessed if I had more. And typically we think about blessing as uh, if we were to graph it out, something that would be going to the right and up. But what if life goes to the right and down? Or what if it goes to the left and down? Life seems to be going backwards and getting harder. Am I, in fact, blessed in those kinds of circumstances and situations? And so before we dig into what the scriptures have to say about how God wants to bless you, uh, let's kind of redefine what blessing can look like. Because it can look like up and to the right, and it can look like something else. So you remember a guy by the name of Noah? Was he a blessed man? I mean, you remember his story that he was tasked by God to create this ark because God was going to judge the world. And he spent 120 years not near a body of water building a huge boat, uh, no doubt, no question, surrounded by ridicule and mocking and jeering through the majority of his life. Oh, Noah thinks this God is going to cause it to rain out here in the desert and we'll all be flooded and die. <laughs> you know, is that a blessed guy? And then the rains come and the floods rise and everything God said takes place. And you witness the most cataclysmic event that ever took place on this planet. Is that a blessing? The scriptures say it is. Or how about Abraham? God says, I want you to leave home. I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your inheritance. And I want you to go to a place that I'm not going to tell you about yet. I'll just show you along the way. Does that sound like a blessing? Uproot, undermine every bit of security and foundation to your life. And then you get to this place that you know not, and God says, now, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. I'm going to make you have descendants that are so numerous, it'll be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. You won't be able to count them all. And then he doesn't have a child in year one, year five, year ten, year fifteen, year twenty, year twenty-five. 
Does that feel like blessing? And then he finally has the heir. He finally has the child. And Isaac comes along and in, in a few years, God says, oh, by the way, that, that child of yours, that son, that one and only, that heir, I'd like for you to take him up on the mountain. I'd like for you to sacrifice him to me. Oh, thank you, Lord. That is a great blessing. Or how about a guy by the name of Moses? Here's a guy who tries to be a good guy but commits murder in the act of his own efforts. And he flees from the Egyptian government for 40, 40 years, hiding on the backside of nowhere. Does that sound like a blessing? And then one day he kind of re-engages and reconnects with God in a rather stunning way around a burning bush. And God says, okay, let's go back. I'd like for you to stand before the most powerful man on the planet and tell him to let my people go. It just so happens my people are about two million in number and they are the slaves of the Egyptians. They are the very backbone of the Egyptian economy, but never mind telling, let them go. Does that sound like a blessing? I think, uh, and we could go on and on and on, right? But we just are very early in the scriptures to see that blessing can look like hard things. Blessing can look like challenge that is beyond my limitations, challenge out of my mind. Blessings can look fearsome. Blessings can cause us to tremble. Blessings can shake up all the area around us and even anger people toward us. God bless you. You want to be blessed? You want to be in on everything that God is up to? Do you want to not miss one nuance of the movings and stirrings of God? Or do you really prefer kind of the safe, secure, don't rock my world too much kind of mundaneness? I mean, you really got to figure that out because God is intent on blessing you. It's his plan, it's his movement, it's his activity. Even as we speak right now, he is about the business of blessing you. So you have to make up your mind, do you want to be a blessed person or not? Do you want to live like a blessed person or not? So, a recent survey was done by a psychological organization. 3,000 respondents say, uh, how's life? Is life happening like you would hope for it to happen? And that survey revealed that 94% of the respondents said, I'm waiting for it to happen. I'm waiting until I have a child and then life will be good. I'm waiting until that child gets older and then life will be good. I'm waiting until that child leaves home and then life will be good. I'm waiting until I get that job and then life will be good. I'm waiting until I get that spouse and life will be good. I'm waiting until I no longer have that spouse and life will be good. I'm waiting until 94% 
We're waiting until something else happened before life would be good, before life would be, as we would call it, blessed. Where are you? The percentages would suggest that many of us in this room are just waiting for something else. And I'm contending today that God is looking to bless you and to do something mighty and purposeful in you and through you right now, today, this week, in every arena that your life touches. Do you want that? We're looking... At the writing of Paul today, the Apostle Paul. Now, uh, some of you will recall that after Paul came to Christ and, and, and Christ said, now I want you to go and share the gospel around the world and I want you to plant churches, that he took missionary journeys, as we refer to it. And you're looking at a map at uh, his second missionary journey and you see all these different cities that he went to. Well, along the way, he came to the city of Philippi, uh, a major Roman city in uh, Macedonia. And while there, he had some wondrous things take place. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. And uh, some men and some women came to Christ, and a church was formed, and they became some of his best long-term friends through the years. And so when he writes what we refer to as the book of Philippians, he's writing a letter to his Christ-like friends in the city of Philippi, And he writes to tell them how blessed they are. And so we're going to pick up with that in Philippians chapter 1. And we will specifically be zeroing in on how God wants to bless with a transformed life. That's what we will see today. So look with me in chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So a little introduction, a little salutation. Verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. He's got a thankful heart toward these people. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so as uh, Paul continued missionary journeys and continued to work around the world, this Philippian church would send offerings, would send workers and helpers. They have been long-term friends to Paul. Verse 6. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion Until the day of Christ Jesus. There it is. God bless you with God continuing the good work he began in you. God bless you with God continuing that good work until it is completed, until it is finished. And you stand in the presence of the risen Savior. God bless you. With a life that he has begun changing the moment you begin following Christ until the moment you no longer draw breath. God bless you with a transformed, changed, Christ-like life. So when we begin to think about that transformed, Christ-like life, what's that look like? What does transformation 
look like? Well, turn a page and look at chapter 2. Verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, this is kind of what it looks like, by the way. It looks like being united with Christ. It looks like having comfort from His love. It looks like fellowship with the Spirit. It looks like tenderness and compassion. Verse 2, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. This is what a transformed life looks like. It looks like being selfless and sacrificial toward others. And you go, you know what? That looks like God blessing others through me. I thought you were talking about God blessing me. And here we are once again introduced to the principle that Jesus constantly stated, this kind of kingdom reversal thing, that the more you give your life away, the more you pour out your life, the more your life takes on this kind of sacrificial tone that was like Jesus himself, the more blessed you are. It's not how much can I receive, it's how much can I pass on. Because the more I pass on, the more I receive. See, God's looking to continue this flow of His activity, of His presence, of His grace, of His provisions. He's looking to continue this flow through you. But if you dam up the flow because of distraction or self-centeredness or uh, wanting to collect, you know, the blessings and things like that, then you back it all up. And so he says, I want you to consider others before you consider yourselves. Now, he paints that picture a little more clearly with the life of Jesus himself. Uh, Pick it up with me in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as uh, Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. This is what it looks like. It looks like what Jesus did. The transformed life is the Jesus life. The Jesus life is the life that says, okay, I will empty myself. I will become what others need for the sake of the Father. Now you go, you know what? That doesn't sound as much like blessing to me as that sounds like work. That sounds hard. And uh, you're not far off. It is work. And it can be hard. Continue to read with me in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work. But Scott, I'm not into work. (laughs) I'm into leisure. Leisure feels like blessing to me. 
Leisure is overrated. Leisure is overstated. Leisure is deceptive. We know and experience and follow a God who works. A Savior who works. And He equips and calls us to work alongside of Him, with Him. So He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. So here's the the deal. He says, I want you... As you receive blessing from me to work out your salvation. Now, every one of those words is very, very important. We've already highlighted the word work. Work is a good word. I know it has four letters, but it's a good word. It's a blessing from God that we get to work. And then he says, work out your salvation. It doesn't say work for. This isn't a matter of trying to get on the good side of God and, and uh, appease God and get God to save me because I've done enough good stuff for God. That kind of thing has nothing to do with it. It's just the opposite. He says, work out. In other words, God is working in you, the Christ life, and you are tasked with working out what he has worked in. Now notice what he says. In uh, verse 12, but now much more my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will. In other words, he's going to work in you So that you desire, you want to do what he wants you to do. I will work in you to will, and I will work in you to act, to to carry it out. I will work in you to change your want to, and I will work in you to empower you to carry out the act. That I'm tasking you to do. Now, let's get this a little more practical. Some of you remember back in October of 07 that uh, a guy by the name of Roberts, a milk truck driving delivery guy in Pennsylvania, went into an Amish community where he normally delivered milk. And on that particular day, he went to the little school that where all the Amish children went to school. And he began killing children and then ultimately killed himself. You remember this a couple of years ago. And uh, the whole world, the whole country was just shocked and, and saddened and, you know, grief-stricken along with that little community on what this guy had done. And so the whole world kind of tuned in and watched, you know, how does this little Amish community respond to this horrific, horrific experience? And, of course, many were stunned and shocked to see this community respond to Roberts and Roberts' family with grace and forgiveness. They forgave him. So much so that on the day after they buried their children, 
they went to Robert's funeral and embraced Robert's wife and children and said, how sorry we are that you've lost your husband and the father of your children. Our hearts and our prayers are with you. We love you. We forgive him. We don't hold you responsible. And some weeks later, they even took up collections among themselves to give to Robert's family because now this single mom with three children had no source of income. And, of course, the onlooking world was saying, uh, these people are really, I mean, we knew they were weird because they don't like drive cars and things like that, but now we know they're really weird. They, they can't even deal with reality to the point of knowing they should hate this guy. They, they can't even grasp reality to the point that they should be uh, trying to get revenge or, or trying to inflict hurt in return. Uh, they're in such denial, they are, you know, pie-in-the-sky forgiveness kind of stuff. No, it's just real life. That's in Christ Jesus. And so here's the deal. You got somebody you need to forgive? Just bring that to your mind right now. Who is that hard to forgive person that's in your life? What have they done? How have they hurt you? How do they keep hurting you? And God says, forgive them. Now, that doesn't always mean reconcile with them, be close to I mean, if somebody's being, you know, pretty wounding and abusive to you, you probably need space from them. But he also will say, forgive. How does that happen? Well, according to what Paul says, God blesses you by working forgiveness in you. He forgives your sins. He forgives your heart. He forgives the brokenness and bustedness of your life. He works that forgiveness in you. He works that forgiveness in you. He works that forgiveness in you. And then He graces you to work that forgiveness out of you toward others. So who is that hard to forgive person? See, God today, right now, wants to bless you by continuing to work His grace in you, change your heart and your desire so that you want to forgive people that have hurt you, and then gives you the power to do the forgiving. That's what Paul says. God bless you with that kind of transforming transaction that God brings in you. Now, put any other kind of Christ-like characteristic in the blank there, and it works exactly the same way. God's calling you to be generous. Well, then He will work His generosity in you. He will be generous toward you. He'll do generous things for you. He'll bring bounty your way so that you can work out generosity to others. Somebody else comes along and they have a need, and you can release resource to meet that need without being begrudging about the whole thing. Kindness. There's some people that are so easy to be kind to because they're so kind to you and you love being kind in return. But there's some others that are hard to be kind to people. Am I alone there? Who, who are those people? Just let them flash before your mind right now. He is working his kindness into you so that you can work that kindness out toward them. We could say the same thing about a dozen other characteristics, but here's the point. When God works in you and you work out that saving grace, that changes your life. He wants to bless you with a changed life. 
Not the same old, same old. And as we said at the outset, this is a process. He begins that good work in you when you trust Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And you become a Christ follower. He begins that good work in you and he continues that good work in you until you breathe no more and you stand before your Lord and Savior. And so the question today is not, are you perfectly forgiving? Are you perfectly generous? Are you perfectly kind? No, the question is, are you more forgiving, kind, generous today than you were last year, than you were five years ago, than you were when you came to Christ? See, the the question is, are you living the blessing in such a way that your life progresses in that transformation? And you are more like Jesus this moment than you've ever been your entire life. Is that the case for you? What's it look like to live a blessed life? It looks like you have been and are being transformed. That's what it looks like. Not perfect, but in the process of being changed. More like your Savior today than you've ever been. Now, a few years ago, I, uh, well, let me come back to that in a minute. A few, a few years ago, Sherry and I were dating, and um, a long time ago. Well, you still awake. Good. So, long time ago, Sherry and I were dating, and we were in high school. You know, they had high schools in those days. And so, um, we actually had taken a trip with our church youth group to Nashville to go to a youth conference, and the youth conference was being hosted at uh, Vanderbilt University. And so we were on the campus of Vandy, and we were doing this conference, and we were having a great time, great experience with the church group and with God and so on. And uh, Sherry's cousin uh, was a student at Vanderbilt at that time while we were in high school. And so we had a break in the afternoon, and she said, let's go over and see Susan. Let's go to the dorm and, and, and check out, you know, how she is and what's going on. So we kind of went over to this dorm unannounced, and we walk in. And this was in the time when they just began doing the, like, co-ed dorms, where guys and gals not only lived in the same building but on the same floor. And they just began doing that kind of stuff around then. And so we, we ride this elevator up the dorm building and we get off on the right floor and we're going down the floor and the next thing I see is you know gals running out of the bathroom with towels wrapped around them to their dorm room and then as we walk a little farther down guys are running out of bathrooms with towels wrapped around them having taken a shower going to their room I'm going this is too weird uh, this co-ed dorm kind of thing and so we get to Susan's room and she's there and her boyfriend's there and uh, one of her roommates is there and so we come in and we're talking for a minute and we don't have much time. We've got to get back. And, and they didn't have much time because they were about to go out somewhere. And so this is the first time I've ever, ever met Sherry's cousin, right? And the next thing I know, she begins changing clothes right in front of me. Uh, and I just, you know, you, you try to figure out what you're going to do at that moment. Uh, and, and so she changes clothes and, and she and her boyfriend go off. And that, that was my first introduction to Susan. And... Um, I don't even remember what we talked about after we left the room that day. But, you know, obviously, Sherry and I later married, and I'm into this family, and I regularly see Susan at family functions and whatever, and and I love her. She's a great gal, and we've been good friends through all these years. 
But I've had the privilege of watching through these years her turn a corner, because at that and by her own admission, and I asked if I could tell this story today. Uh, you know, while she was at Vandy, she was into the alcohol, she was into the drugs, she was into the whole promiscuity scene, whatever, and she was just making a ton of bad choices. And at some juncture, she turns a corner. She marries a guy that she loves, and he comes to Christ. And they both begin this journey together of living the blessing of God. So much so that they've had a couple of sons, and these guys are great guys. They love God. Susan and Mike are, are thoroughly involved in their church in Memphis. He's an elder. She leads, co-leads women's ministry there. She's on staff with the church. And from the first day of Meadowbrook till now, 19 years, they have been financial contributors to this ministry every month. I can't tell you how many things through the years we've been able to buy or we've been able to fund or to do because Mike and Susan have given a monthly contribution over and above their tithe to their home church to see God do something here because they believed in what God was doing here. They are prayerful. They are kind. They are generous. They are sacrificial. They are serving. I wish I could just have them on the stage with me today, but they are so plugged in back home. They're serving in the church at home today. Transformed life. They are blessed. Many of us in this room are blessed. The question is, are you living that blessed life? So let's finish this way. Do you know Christ? Have you acknowledged His Lordship? And surrendered your will to His will. Are you living out His blessings? Allowing Him to bless you with His life, His characteristics, His character. And living that out. Will you, like Jesus, be forgiving and patient and kind and generous and loving? What's the next step for you? He brought people. He brought scenarios to your mind. What's the next step for you today that you need to take in order to continue the good work in you that He has begun? Who's it involved? What risk does it take? What kind of commitment is called for? God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you gave us your only begotten Son. And that whoever would believe in him would have life everlasting. Lord, thank you that that's here and now. Thank you that it's not something we have to wait for that or wait for this, but that you are working, saving life into us now. We pray you continue to change our will, change our want to, and empower us to be the man, the woman of God 
that you've destined us to be. We pray all that in the powerful name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.